Welcome to What Else Do You Do? I'm your host, Masao. I'm an indie producer in Montreal working for Studio Cut to Bits. And today, our guest is Jesse Lam. Please introduce yourself. Hello there. Uh, my name is Jesse Lam. I'm a concept artist and cinematic storyboard artist at Brass Lion Entertainment. Awesome. How long have you been at Brass Lion? Um, by March 1st, it would have been my first full year. Okay. And where were you before that? Oh, before that, um, I was freelancing for a whole year, and then before that, I was at Skybound Entertainment. I was working in animation, and specifically, I was working on Invincible at the time. Very cool. However, this is a part of our Asian Game Developers Working in the West interview series, so let's talk about being Asian. What is your ethnic background? Right. I am mostly Chinese, with a little bit of Indonesian from my father's side. And you were born and raised in Canada. Yes, I am. I was born and raised in Toronto, actually. How was it growing up in Toronto? I hear it's fairly Asian. It is fairly Asian, yes. Were you in predominantly Asian neighborhoods? Uh, at least in the neighborhoods that I've stuck in, it wasn't mostly Asian. It was a, it was a bit of a mix. How connected were you to your Asian side? Did you grow up speaking Chinese? At home, I was very deliberately taught to speak Cantonese. Uh, I wasn't really exactly taught any Indonesian except for the formal word of thank you very much in Indonesian. Terima kasih lo bando was the way I was taught. And that was about the only word I was my dad taught me. Uh, as for Mandarin, um, I kind of picked it up by ear because my parents would use that uh, when they don't want to talk to me, when they want to talk between themselves. You're now in Vancouver. Yes, I am. And how do you like Vancouver? Well, I, for one, really love that I don't have to shovel every winter. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you on that one. I guess you didn't have to take shifts when you were sh uh, shoveling. Yeah, at our house, it's it's just me. Oh, no. <laughs> I came here as an adult, so it's a somewhat new experience for me. You came here as an adult, but your English is actually pretty fantastic. I grew up speaking English. My mother's American. So how Asian do you feel? You're 100% ethnically Asian, right? I believe so. Well, yes. Uh, it's strange. It's strange now that you mentioned that. Um, I still feel the diaspora-ness in a way. I think that's a common sentiment. I guess. It doesn't feel like I'm Asian enough, or at least not Chinese enough, because I'm not pure-blooded Chinese. I wasn't raised, born and raised in China. So... Sometimes I feel that there would be some prejudice there. But that, on top of that, there's also, like, the prejudice of speaking Cantonese as opposed to Mandarin fluently. I was raised kind of traditional, but in the end, I was still in Canada. I still had to live and work and experience life like, um, like diaspora. So the feeling of disconnect has never really left me. You are often treated quite differently uh, if if you're uh, diaspora as opposed to native. So there's that to deal with. For sure. And I honestly, I don't even know where I fit in in that conversation because I've lived here for so long. And on top of that, I was never really treated like a Japanese person because I'm mixed. Visually, I clearly don't look like a fully Asian person. So 
<laughs> I don't really talk about this that much in Montreal because there's just not that many Asians. But when I lived in California, I noticed that there was kind of a division between like the ABC, American Born Chinese, and what people called like FOBs, the recent immigrants. Oh dear God! Yeah. Yes, yes, I'm. I am aware. I am. A, I am also aware of like. I almost. I'm also aware of the times that they used to sort of like you know poke me in the ribs to mock my North American accent to Cantonese, which I thought was pretty good. Like I, I hit it pretty goddamn well. Damn it! But, but uh, well, the ones who were from Hong Kong would always you know hear it and know it. But the ones from uh, elsewhere, they don't really seem to to grasp it as much. You mean because their knowledge of Cantonese? They is don't speak any Cantonese at all, but it's just straight up uh, Mandarin. There's actually quite a bit of animosity among the Japanese diaspora as well. Hmm. The pre-World War II immigrants and their descendants and the recent uh, immigrants from Japan they don't yep. have a lot in common and don't necessarily share um the same kind of values there is the values but there's also the fact that they don't necessarily share a common interest with the multi-generational immigrants they have their cultural context with internment camps and the fact that they grew up as a minority and right. the, the culture of prejudice that they had to deal with Oh, yeah. Whereas the recent immigrants come here and they don't really see themselves as part of the culture. And because of the way that minorities are treated in Japan, they have extremely low expectations and think that like marginalization of minorities is quite normal. Yeah. At least until they move here. Even when they do move here, they bring that kind of value structure and it becomes a point of conflict. Right. So you have Asian Canadians and Asian Americans like pushing for more representation and more accurate portrayal of the culture. And then you have, you know, the people in Japan who just don't care. Yeah, they're not quite as invested. They've been represented like for most of their whole lives in their native country. So why do they need it when they come here? They just don't see the media being produced here as something that is for them anyway. They need to watch like Japanese entertainment and then see this as like foreign entertainment. That is, yeah, that is a common thread I'm finding. And also growing up as a part of the majority culture, they're very secure in their identity. And so when they come here, they don't really have this like need to be seen the way that I think, you know, the minority uh, Asian diaspora hmm. has. Does that make sense? No, uh, no, it makes perfect sense. At least for me, when I live in Canada, I, I just, I absorbed other aspects of my culture through media like just about every other diaspora out there and um sometimes i end up looking at mom and pop shops for video rentals to get that because cable tv let alone uh, canadian television was equipped for any of it so that was how i maintained um use and proficiency of my cantonese 
because there was nobody else in my neighborhood uh, or my immediate vicinity beyond my family to speak it. Uh, I have a kid that I'm trying to s teach Japanese to, and that's my concern. You know, it's uh, sh we don't have much of a community for her to practice her Japanese, and on top of it, I think she. It's hard for、yeah. her to perceive any value in it since, like, she can't talk to anybody in it. <sighs> I think it only comes into practice when you find somebody else who is just like you, who experiences life as you do, and、um, maybe helps sort of fill in the. Gap,、uh, at least make the isolation feel a little bit less overwhelming in, at times. Because you have people who think they know you, and you have people who have lived like you. So there are certain lived experiences that、uh, can be basically a common thread. And I have actually built friendships like that, just simply based off those lived experiences. Which is kind of nice, you know. I mean, and then there's there would be reason for me to actually keep up my Cantonese as opposed to just English. Although sometimes switching between, it's just some days it gets really tiring, and then we just kind of default to English. But like some sometimes that we just keep on going in Cantonese. Yeah, I I think you're right, and I think expanding her community would really be beneficial to her. But like, I think with COVID, it's kind of complicated. I mean, there's a Japanese school that I could enroll her in, but like, but with COVID, I'm not. You know, it's hard to decide if it's worth it to, you know, like expose her to more opportunities of infections、oh, in、okay. in exchange for. You know, earlier integration and exposure to Japanese culture.、Hmm. At risk of sounding like an old, are you familiar with Asian Avenue?、Uh, I've never heard of that. Okay, so、uh, way back in the day, in the late nineties, early two thousands, there was、uh, basically a, an online community. Made specifically for diaspora, and、uh, it, I guess it was like MySpace for Asians. <laughs> but I but like it's just people who are sharing their personal experiences and、uh, introducing themselves, and you know it was like social media before social media, but in a forum format. And this thing is still going. Oh, good God, no, no, no! It just went down with the rest of the forums before actual social media. There's also just not that many Japanese people in Montreal. Okay.、Um, would you consider the population of Japanese in Toronto higher, or、uh, at least? Yes,、okay. I think there are more in Toronto. I've noticed a lot more Japanese in Vancouver, for sure.、Uh, Vancouver, I think, does have the most number of Japanese immigrants.、Yeah. Montreal also has like the additional difficulty with French, so. Ah,、uh, right, having to learn another language on top of English, right?
There's also the fact that there's just not a lot of Japanese companies that have a presence in Montreal as well. Um, until the 90s, I think a lot of international companies, if they had one location, was in Montreal. But like, <laughs> that hasn't been the case for a while. As I recall, I mean, somebody uh, in my social circle mentioned this in passing, like years and years and years ago. But uh, a lot of the Montreal businessmen, due to some regulation going on in the country or within the province, they all moved to, to Toronto to do their uh, business. Uh, that that happened in the 90s. Uh, basically, there was a law introduced called Law 101, and it mandated companies that operate in Quebec to be uh, predominantly in French, and that caused a mass exodus. When you talk to older people, they do say that uh, Montreal used to be much more economically kind of active. Uh, although oh, that being that said, reminds me of Montreal is going through a tech boom. Like there's tons of video games and AI and right. tons of VFX and stuff. So, you know, it is, uh, it's not like it's depressed. <laughs> I mean, Toronto and Montreal and Vancouver are some of the biggest media hubs for uh, North America, at least when it comes to like um, VFX houses and all the other stuff that America can't do on their own. I've also heard that Vancouver is quite popular as a as a location to shoot a lot of movies and TV shows. Yeah, just wish they would pay a tax every now and then. Sorry, that's like that's like a common sentiment because like they're always here disrupting traffic, disrupting God knows what the everyday things. But they try not to. They try not to, because especially in Vancouver, there's like 600 shows being shot at just at any given moment, and maybe less so given the pandemic. But <laughs> it's like, but uh, they do have to navigate being around people a lot, and it's not always like convenient. I'm not really in the part of town where they shoot anything, so I don't really see it that much. Okay. Well, me neither, but like usually when I go in for work, sometimes I would see a movie set going on. The last one I kind of walked by was one for the Batgirl TV show. And it was right by the Museum of Art, but they sort of like remade it into a completely different building. So let's loop back to the games industry and I guess, uh, uh, in your case, uh, animation industry as well. How do you think being Asian has impacted your experience? Uh, hmm. To be honest, I haven't seen much impact of my own culture in video games. Not really. Not from where I am. I mean, not even from my time at Bandai Namco. Uh, it's not like my personal experience as diaspora Asian actually fed into any of the projects that I worked on while I was there. I guess there just wasn't really much opportunity, which is why I am kind of envious of the people at United Front Games when they worked on Sleeping Dogs because they were completely immersed in that culture. There wasn't really much opportunity, and usually if there's any, like, tiptoeing around Asian culture, they would, their default is almost always Japanese. <laughs> Honestly, as a Japanese person, it's not necessarily better to be represented in that context because a number of uncomfortable conversations I've had about like 
representation of Japan in games I've worked on is, uh, yeah, too many. I mean, there's the rise of Chinese fantasy MMORPGs and such. And, but they're not exactly made here. They're made in China. And, you know, so, so if there's representation there, it's just a different kind of representation. It's just, a, it's just a time in their fantasy slash history that isn't completely recorded because even historically accurate films and shows in China don't really have much to go on because, uh, beyond like, archaeological evidence of paintings because everything else just has been destroyed in wars or just kind of lost, I guess. So Mm. speaking of representation, I'm playing Shifu right now, and uh, yeah. (laughs) So um, are you uh, enjoying yourself? Mechanically, it's a really good game, but uh, yeah... It's it's a lot. <laughs> uh, it's pretty bad, <laughs> to be honest. Dear God. It's kind of all over the place. I mean, exactly what did they use their consultants for? Is it like for some of the language on like the string of coins that's supposed to be the MacGuffin? I don't know what the consultant did because, I mean, I don't know. It it did not feel authentically Asian in a lot of ways. It feels very much like, I don't know. Was it like that French dude who was, who was that Pac-Me practitioner? Because if they're getting all of their information, yes, it's the French guy. Yeah, there was definitely like a French Camfu guy that was involved, according to articles that I've read, which is fine. I mean, the Camfu looks great, but... It still looks operatic. He still had to change up his moves. He still had to like play it for the camera. He still had to pull his punches when he's with another with an actor in the volume. So come on, buddy. Come on. And the third boss in the game is Japanese for reasons I can't really understand yeah kuroki what is up with that yeah everything (laughs) there is just bad wait even the japanese parts huh because there there is a higher higher japanese contingent in in france if if i remember correctly yeah i mean if there is they didn't have anybody on the team i mean she's got chopsticks in her hair not even the kimono is formally Japanese. Overall, the costuming is just really painful. And the fact that, like, halfway through her battle, like, she becomes a ninja. Like, all of it's very, like, scraping bottom of the barrel. Like, they're, I mean, all of it's pretty painful. Like, the art direction, like, the chopsticks in her hair, the, like, the white painted makeup that just is like really off and just even yeah as you mentioned her kimono is not real either like it's just kind of painful it's a blade of uh the immortals reference i mean i looked i looked at her weapon it was like a three-part uh staff with blades at the end just like makie otono tachibana and i'm like i've seen this before it's a weird (laughs) choice because it's not actually a common weapon yes 
It's not it's not an analog for Japanese history. What's going on here? And yeah, I don't I mean, know. I mean, she's supposed to be Japanese and that's fine, I guess. It's just that like everybody else has first names, but for whatever reason she has a last name. And also like the way they write her name is also this like really weird way to write Kuroki. Like it's not Yeah, it was just a lot of weird choices. I mean, I wonder if it's like um, a choice to be formal or like to set somebody specifically apart because they're an additional foreigner in a game that's supposed to be about a completely different culture. That part's actually kind of weird, too, because the first three bosses, none of them have Chinese names. The first guy has like a Muslim name. Not that there aren't minorities in China themselves, but they don't make themselves known either. (laughs) And then after that, it's like a dude named Sean, and then it's like Kuroki, the Japanese lady. Like it's it's uh, it, they're weird choices. Also, the inspiration is kind of all over the place too, because like you see, there's like a sequence that's very much like Old Boy, which is a Korean movie, and then you have like the boss fight for Kuroki feels very much like Kill Billish. I mean, which is it's not even like a primary source, so yeah. It's pretty perfunctory on all on all accounts. Yeah, I mean, if you want to center your film on like Hong Kong martial arts cinema, then like stick to it. Be consistent. Like that that should not be difficult. Dear God, I mean, there are other martial arts films, at least Hong Kong martial arts films, that do have other foreign elements into it. That worries me, though, like the whole media literacy, because, I mean, sometimes DVDs and certain films are out of print, and that can be its own issue. God damn it all. Uh, fucking homages. Like, homages that are so, that... I wish that they put their own original spin to it. Like, Zack Snyder also stole from Old Boy for 300, because there was a shot where Leonidas would be fighting against the Greeks, and it was a sideways shot as well, but, like, in the same in a similar manner where there would be like zoom in zoom out shots and it was it was chaotic and it made sense but like he tried to put his own original spin to that shot whereas he didn't by the end of the film I'm still salty about that because that was clearly ripped off of Jet Li's hero anyways sorry but yeah that's that's kind of my thoughts on Shifu and how I wish they could be less cringy about things you know i mean what i don't understand is why couldn't they just make it about that like french dude that you know that does kung fu like you know like they could have set the 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 game in paris it's not like paris is an uninteresting city or unrecognizable city or city that doesn't have crime you know Uh, i mean they could have just centered this on like french gangs or whatever I think they could have just consolidated the references better, more consistently. That's my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. It's just video games. It's just entertainment. It's mindless. Nobody gives a shit, right? Except for us, really. It's it's not like our culture is being used and mined for profit. And Done so inaccurately, infuriatingly so. Considering how bad the Japanese are in this front, like, I can't really. 
mean, yeah. That is that is very true. I'm not even gonna uh, Tekken in a nutshell. I mean, they had what they would think is in indigenous representation, but like, I'm not even gonna. I can't even get. I had developers who worked on like other console Tekken, and they can't even give me a straight answer when I asked when I was asked to design some characters for that game. I was like, okay, great, that's 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 fantastic. I oh boy it wasn't great <laughs> yeah like some of the characters like what even is their ethnic background yeah i had so much trouble with julia chang you won't believe it oh my god and uh yeah it's just one thing after another i mean poor yoshimitsu though he doesn't he doesn't look japanese in seven though he looks more like an alien and i think that's just I mean, they're trying to get away from it by going more hard sci-fi with him, but... I mean, he's been like a crazy robot for a while. Um, Like a Sentai robot, maybe. Sure. But they always leaned into how Japanese he looked in every, from game to game. I don't know. It's fine. It it's just it's just all costumes and stuff, really. <laughs> Honestly, it's been a while since I played any Tekken, so I'm not even sure what these characters even look like anymore. But uh... um, you mean like uh, Street Fighter Six? Fighting games in general have been pretty kind of cringy in general you know like but uh i don't even think street fighter is like one of the worst examples i mean like compared to like dead or alive or like soul caliber like if yeah oh boy yeah that's um that's some fantasy silliness right there okay so let's wrap up please give us a final thought on being asian I feel like um, all of us who want representation still want that representation, however, um, in whatever form we can get it. But we do. But in the age of information, we want to do better, at least. I mean, do right by the people who are just like us, who are in positions of feeling isolated from everybody else, especially during times of COVID. I feel like they want to celebrate some of the some of the best parts of themselves and also recognize um, the more unsavory parts as well because history is always as messy especially as we have demonstrated in this uh, podcast but the nicest thing I've I've ever I've seen is just there's a, an openness and a willingness to change and a, to make a difference and I feel like we should totally lean in, lean into it as much as we can in the spaces that we have. Thank you for your time and thank you for the lovely conversation. Have a great day. All right. Bye, Masao. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Dave Wallace for providing the music. And thank you to Therese Lance for providing the logo. Bye.